Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, Cramaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am here today with another Missing Monday. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to help hopefully aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. This week's case is much like the case that I did on Tabitha Tudors. This week's Missing Monday case is also another case that has gone far too long without answers. 26 years is way too long for a family to not know what happened to their child. Oftentimes with these Missing Monday cases, the information is limited, and I was saddened when researching this case to see that there really isn't a ton of coverage on it. That's a huge reason why we do these Missing Mondays. It's to remind the families that their loved one is not forgotten. Today's Missing Mondays case is on the disappearance of Sarah Ann Bushland. Sarah Ann Bushland was 15 years old when she went missing on April 3, 1996. Sarah's parents divorced when she was a toddler, and they had split custody of Sarah and her older sister, Leslie. When their father moved to Colorado, Sarah and Leslie went with him. Sarah and Leslie were just 18 months apart, and the girls grew up extremely close. Leslie described her sister as someone who was very outgoing and was a social butterfly, and Sarah could fit into any crowd of people that she was around. She would bounce from one clique to the next, and she always just fit in. But like a lot of teenagers, Sarah went through some struggles as well, including getting into trouble. In December 1994, at the age of 13, Sarah was caught shoplifting. According to an NBC News article, instead of having to face her father and deal with his disappointment over the shoplifting incident, she decided to move in with her mother, Marie Lambert, stepfather James Lambert, and her two stepbrothers in Spooner, Wisconsin. Once Sarah settled into her new life in Wisconsin, things didn't really get easier or better for her. She was still dealing with those teenage problems and struggles, and she also began running with an older crowd of people. At 15 years old, she started dating a guy named Travis who was 21 years old. Naturally, I am sure you guys can all recall the major maturity gap between the age of 15 and being in high school to being 21 and able to go to the bars. So again, she's hanging out with this older crowd of people. She likely is getting into situations that maybe are dangerous or not necessarily in her best interest. Given that Sarah was trying to keep up with this older crowd, she continued to have some behavioral issues and would act out, and she would find herself in trouble with her mother and stepfather. 
Like a lot of teenagers, Sarah kept a diary where she wrote a lot about the things that she was thinking and feeling, including some of the confusion that she felt over her relationship with this older man, as well as confusion over her relationship with her mother and her stepfather and stepbrothers. I think a lot of us go through times of confusion and grief in our teenage years, and it was very apparent throughout her diary that she was just a troubled and confused girl. Her diary was the place that Sarah really let out everything she was experiencing and feeling in life. It was her way of blowing off steam, essentially, and just letting go and expressing herself. She felt that she could open up and be vulnerable when writing in her diary. That is until her stepfather, Jim, found her diary and read it completely. And he was livid about some of the things that Sarah had written. So to punish her, Marie and Jim pretty much grounded Sarah and told her that she couldn't go anywhere other than to school or school-related functions for weeks on end. They also told her that she could no longer see her boyfriend. Now, This is where some of the conflicting stories come in on this case. Some said that she was told that she couldn't see him ever again, while others stated that she was told that she couldn't see him until she was 16 years old. Either way, there was a lot of upset feelings, obviously, about not being able to see her boyfriend. After weeks of this punishment, there was a light at the end of the tunnel for Sarah. She was set to be ungrounded Easter weekend, which was that upcoming weekend. Her plans for once she was ungrounded included seeing her boyfriend, even though her mother and stepfather told her she couldn't. And she was also looking forward to the chance to spend time with her friends again and was overall just really excited about Easter break. On the morning of April 3rd, 1996, Sarah woke up and got ready for school like she did every morning. But on that morning, her stepbrother gave her a ride to one of her friends' house. And Sarah and her friend had planned to walk to school together that morning. And then after school, they had planned to walk back to her friend's house. And then they were going to hang out there for a bit and then get ready for a school event. This event was something that Sarah had really been looking forward to also for a while because this was the first thing that she was going to be allowed to go do after being grounded and stuck at home for weeks. On that April 3rd, Sarah's parents were going to be out of town that evening. Jim was going to go hang out with friends out of town, and Marie was going to be going to a funeral in Chippewa Falls. Both Jim and Marie were going to be coming home the following day on April 4th. So Sarah and her friend walked to school that morning together as they had planned. Around noon that day, Sarah's boyfriend Travis picked her up and the two spent her lunch break together before Sarah returned to school to finish the remaining of her day. The information surrounding this lunch date with Sarah's boyfriend is a little bit muddy, but there's multiple reports that during this lunch break, she apparently broke up with her boyfriend, but there's also reports that everything was fine and they just met up together behind her parents' back. I can't find anything solid stating one way or another, but apparently when Sarah got back to school, her attitude seemed off and a little different. She apparently had decided not to walk back to her friend's house and instead she wanted to go home. 
She also had apparently changed her mind about the school function she was supposed to attend. When asked why she wanted to change her plans completely and go home, Sarah had said that she needed to go home because she was worried her stepfather, Jim, would get into her diary again. I guess she was stressed about some of the things that she had written over the last days prior in her diary and thought it was important enough to get home so it couldn't be found by anyone. She started to try and call anyone she could think of just to see if they could give her a ride home. She was panicked that if she was to take the bus home, that she would arrive there too late and her diary would be found and then she would be grounded again. Which I find all of this a little bit odd because from my understanding, Sarah was aware that her stepfather Jim was going to be out of town. So I don't know why all of a sudden the panic set in for Sarah about her diary. I don't know if it's because maybe she was worried about the stepbrother finding it and telling his dad or whatever. But for whatever reason, she was so panicked about this that she completely changed all of her plans. When nobody was able to give her a ride that day, Sarah was forced to ride the bus home. People on the bus that day did see Sarah get off at her regular bus stop that was at the very end of her driveway, and they witnessed her starting to walk up the driveway. As the bus began to pull away, witnesses on the bus said that a truck had pulled into the driveway behind her, and according to the people on the bus, this truck had apparently been following behind the bus for the entire ride. There was conflicting statements about the color of the truck. Some claimed it was dark green, while others claimed it was a dark gray. But either way, this truck was dark in color. And the people on the bus said that Sarah walked right up to the truck as if she knew the person inside of it. One of the witnesses even stated that Sarah had actually gotten into the truck and then the truck drove off. But other witnesses said that they didn't see that and that she just talked to them. Around 40 minutes later, Sarah's stepbrother realized that it was getting late and Sarah hadn't shown back up at the house. So he called his dad, Jim, who was out of town, to let him know that Sarah never came home from school. Jim was instantly worried, so he called Marie, and Marie left Chippewa Falls from that funeral she was going to be attending to come home and try and track down her daughter. Marie got back home around 6.30 p.m. that night, and as soon as she got home, she began calling all of Sarah's friends and anyone she could think of to see if Sarah was with them. Nobody had seen Sarah since school that day. Around 8 p.m., Marie decided to just go over to Sarah's friend's house to see if maybe she was there hiding out and she just didn't want to come home. But Sarah wasn't there either. The friend and Marie loaded up together and went over to Sarah's boyfriend's apartment to see if maybe she was there. When they arrived, he stated that the last time he had seen her was at lunch that day, and when they looked around inside his apartment, they found absolutely no sign of her. From his apartment, they went to his dad's house, not far away, thinking once more that maybe she was hiding out there from them, and she just didn't want to come home. But again, Sarah was not there either. 
Jim didn't come home until the following day around noon, April 4th. And once he arrived home and still no Sarah, he and Marie went down to the police station to file her as a missing person. And much like our case on Tabitha Tudors, not a whole lot was done because they instantly labeled her as a runaway. It wasn't until weeks later that even a single missing persons poster would go up at the school, and that is how her classmates had learned that she was even missing. There was no news coverage, no public searches, nothing, because in the eyes of the police, this was a troubled child who had been into some trouble, and she likely just ran away. Finally, in 1999, an investigation was finally started, and they began treating this as a missing persons case and not a runaway scenario. It absolutely blows my mind that nothing was done for this case for a whole three years. That's three years of missed opportunities, three years of leads that could have been followed, three years of people who could have been questioned and memories that were still fresh When authorities really began digging into this case in 1999, they started off by looking into Sarah's mother, Marie, stepfather, Jim, and her two stepbrothers. In July of 1999, the first search of the property that Sarah lived on was conducted. During this search, they searched a dump site on the property, the main house, as well as other buildings. Again, in 2000, the property was searched once more, including a drag of the lake that was on the property to see if they could find any evidence. In 2011, a task force working on cold cases in the area began re-examining Sarah's case, and they combed through all of the information they had, hoping that they could spot something that they missed. They re-interviewed all of her friends and family, and still, they were coming up to dead end after dead end. In May of 2013, authorities spent two days doing the largest search once more on the property. This time, they brought in tons of equipment and tools to use, as well as cadaver dogs. To investigators' surprise, the dogs hit on several spots throughout the property, one being inside the home. They also hit on some of the buildings and some other outdoor areas. Through all these searches of the Lambert property over the years, authorities never said why exactly they were brought there to begin with. They give very little information and never really spoke about any tips that they received. When the dogs hit on these various areas, they once again didn't discuss the cause or the reasoning these dogs may have hit on these certain areas. In 2017, both Jim Lambert and Sarah's mother, Marie Lambert, passed away. A week after Jim passed, authorities went back out to the Lambert property once more for another search. Once again, authorities are tight-lipped why they keep going back to this property. It seems like for whatever reason, they believe that Sarah was somewhere on that property and that maybe she never left it that day after getting off the bus. According to a YouTube video I watched about this case, one of the stepbrothers apparently hadn't been able to be accounted for on that day. They were unable to determine when he left school, when he got home, and what he had done after school. 
Now, again, information is extremely limited on this case, so I've tried to piece together the best information that I can for you guys, and that was just one little tidbit that I did see. Another thing that I saw is that Sarah's disappearance is very similar to a case that also took place in October of 1996 in Cable, Wisconsin, and this was the case of an 18-year-old girl named Crystal Sulier. Crystal's murdered body was discovered in 1997, and she remained unidentified for a few years. Unfortunately, her murder is still unsolved. Crystal and Sarah resembled each other, and they both disappeared under very similar circumstances. But what is very weird is both of the girls actually knew each other, and they had 19 mutual friends who were in rival groups. Both the girls also had attended several of the same parties. But authorities do not believe that these two cases could be connected. And I don't really think there's enough information that could connect the two together despite that they ran in the same friend groups. But I don't think there's also enough information to rule that out. So because information is limited and the amount of time that has passed, I do believe it's important to go ahead and go over some of the theories on this case. Of course, the first theory that a lot of people consider, and as we've learned, authorities really considered as well, is that Sarah truly did run away. She obviously was clashing for some time with her mom and stepfather. The stepfather had just recently read her diary and then grounded her for it. They also had just recently told her that she couldn't see or date that boyfriend. So Sarah had a lot to be upset about as far as her home life goes. But my major hang up with this theory is the fact that Sarah had lived at home and dealt with being grounded for weeks on end. She dealt with being restricted to only going to school and school related functions. Sarah dealt with being told she couldn't see her boyfriend or be around him. If this was what she was so upset about that she wanted to run away from home because of it, why hadn't she chosen to do so right after she first got grounded? Why would she have waited weeks after being grounded to then finally run off when she was at the end of her grounding? Of course, this could have been a very last minute thing that she decided to do, but I truly believe that had Sarah ran away, she would have at least taken some of those things that most teenage girls can't live without, and that would be more clothing, her makeup, but all of her clothing and makeup items were accounted for other than what Sarah had on her back that day. One thing I do want to discuss further, though, is the fact that Sarah all of a sudden panicked out of nowhere about her diary. She knew that her stepfather, Jim, was going to be out of town for the night, so why did she all of a sudden feel the need to cancel her plans for that school event, to race home to make sure her diary wasn't found? Now, if Sarah had been so concerned about this diary and felt the need to cancel these plans, why would she have gotten into the truck and left with someone if someone pulled into her driveway? She never made it inside the house that day to retrieve her diary, so why would she be willing to leave at that point with someone who stopped by, if her sole purpose for racing home was to get that diary? And when considering her running away, she obviously was pretty serious about this boyfriend and Both his apartment and his father's place was checked. I don't 
think Sarah would have just ran off and not have had some sort of communication with him if she was already so distraught over the fact that her parents didn't want her to see this guy to begin with. You'd think if it was a runaway scenario, she would have been running away to be with him. The next theory is that Sarah's case is linked to Crystal's case, who disappeared and then was found murdered. I don't think there's enough evidence to completely rule whether they're connected or not, but it's something that many speculate about. And I also have many questions about the situation. It does almost seem too coincidental that two girls from the same small town who knew each other and run with the same group of guys wind up both going missing in similar circumstances. Whoever pulled into her driveway that day appeared that she knew, and was this someone from this friend group that she was running around with? It has been reported that several of them did have trucks. Of course, the final theory is that her family had something to do with it. It is something that is heavily speculated on, especially given the fact that numerous searches have taken place on the property. And I also want to point out the fact that her stepbrother knew that Sarah was going to be going to her friend's house after school. So why did he panic and felt the need to call his father 40 minutes after Sarah didn't come home off the bus. Now, that could be explained because Sarah was calling people for a ride. So perhaps she called him and asked him for a ride. He told her no, ride the bus, and then she didn't show up. So he got concerned. I don't know, but it is something to keep in mind when considering the possibility of maybe the family having something to do with it. This case is really sad to me because I think it could have been solved had she not been listed as a runaway for years. I absolutely hate that this happens so frequently for families. Even with zero proof of a runaway, children and even adults are often ruled as just running off to start new lives or running away because they're blowing off steam or whatever. It's very sad and my heart hurts for these families. Sarah Bushland was 15 years old when she went missing on April 3, 1996. Sarah is a white female with blonde hair, bluish gray eyes, and at the time of her disappearance, she was 5 foot and 104 pounds. Sarah has a mole on her left side of her neck and the right side of her upper lip. She was last seen wearing a Tweety Bird shirt, blue jacket, blue jeans, black Reebok sneakers, and four sterling silver rings on her right hand, one of which was a Spooner High School class ring with a black stone. If you or anyone you know has information on the disappearance of Sarah Bushland, you can call the Washburn County Sheriff's Office at 715-468-4700. Crimeaholics, if you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, you can find us by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover. You can also follow us on TikTok and on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you wish to follow me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care.
you need parts, O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.